Uh, So we're in Psalms chapter 23. And I'll confess to you this, if you know me, then this isn't much of a confession. But if you don't know me, music is a tremendous part of my life. And really, my, my week revolves around two things. It's work and it's band practice. And so that's really the two things I do is my job and then band practice and then talk to my cat. Um, or eat checkers. I got both in there, see? Uh, somebody told me all I talk about is my cat and checkers, which is true, so I figured I would try and work it in tonight. So my life revolves around music. I love music. There was a point in my life where I was in nine bands at one point. Now, not all of them played all the time, but they all played some of the time. And so obviously I don't hate music. I might even be quite fond of it. But I, I guess this is maybe the opposite side of the coin. Generally speaking, I despise most Christian music. And maybe that's um, offensive. Uh, but, but here's the things that I don't like about Christian music. I won't say all Christian music. But the things that I don't like about Christian music, uh, first and foremost, is that very often it, it doesn't seem to say much, at least in the modern world. Uh, there's a, a running joke that you can... You can pretty much get away with one sentence repeated 50 or 20 times, and then you have a modern worship song. Uh, And so it's uh, repetitious over and over and over and over again. Uh, And so that kind of bothers me because there's so much to be said about God. You know, if God is really uh, as big and as vast and as profound and, and incredible as we say he is as Christians, surely we can say more than two or three sentences. Surely we can say something when we worship him. Uh, but the, the other thing that kind of bothers me is uh, that, especially on the radio, there is this whitewashed aspect to it, where if somebody knew nothing about Christianity but listened to Christian radio, it seems to me as though they would think the Christian life is a cakewalk, uh, that it is generally pleasant, interspersed with minor periods of the occasional difficulty. But this is just not what the Christian life is like. And especially in high school, at the height of my cynicism on this stuff, I encountered the Psalms. Now, I'd always known that the Psalms were there, but I'd never actually walked through the Psalms. But can I just say, and I say this again and again, you and I are fortunate that the Lord has seen fit to inspire this book within the canon of all of Scripture, because the Psalms are profound. Several weeks ago, I stopped by another church in the area just to take a Sunday off, And they were singing Psalms 42. Day and night, my foes cry, where is your God? My tears have been my food. And I I remember sitting there and thinking, why would you sing this in a church service? And then I thought, it's in the Bible. Why wouldn't you sing it in a church service? Uh, The Psalms are brutally honest. But it is a gift to us as Christians that we have such honesty in God's word because it gives us a voice in the Christian life to be able to say with the psalmists uh, that we will hope again in God even when there are people who gloat over our destruction. The problem is that Partially, many of us are unfamiliar with the Psalms. But the other problem is that some of us, especially if you grew up in church, you are overly familiar with the Psalms, or at least certain Psalms, and specifically the Psalm we're talking about tonight. A friend of mine said that as punishment when he was a kid, his mom would make him write this Psalm out over and over and over again. It's like Bart Simpson on the chalkboard in the opening sequence. The Lord is my shepherd, but Bart never writes that in any opening sequence of the Simpsons. 
And so many of us have heard Psalms 23. We've heard it over and over again. You can probably recite it by heart. Your grandma probably owns a Precious Moments coffee mug with a line from this. Maybe there's a wall plaque hanging somewhere in your aged Aunt Petunia's home. You probably have seen it in a Christian bookstore. The Lord is my shepherd over and over and over again. And there is this saying that gets tossed around that familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, essentially, that the more you're around something, even if you love it, you begin to hate it or grow tired of it. Now, anybody who has moved in with a close friend has seen this play itself out. Uh, if you want a friendship to survive, don't become roommates with them uh, because there is a large likelihood that something bad is going to happen because you're going to see people in all of their flots, flots, faults, Flots is not a word to my knowledge. Uh, You'll see them in all their faults. You'll see them in all their shortcomings. And you're just going to get tired of them. Uh, Not even just living with people. If you've ever been in a long car ride with somebody, even your friend, you want them dead by the end of the car ride. Just leave me alone. I'm tired of hearing you talk. Or maybe, maybe there's a song on the radio that you loved the first time you heard it, but with each successive play, that love goes, uh, diminishes. One step to another step to another. The only artist for which there's an exception would be Taylor Swift, whose love and my affections foregrow with each passing repetition. (laughs) Right? But this familiarity breeds contempt. The reality, though, is that I don't think it simply breeds contempt. It also breeds complacency. And it also breeds callousness. That we come and we behold these incredible things, these profound truths. And especially if you've grown up in the church, you hear it so much that it stops affecting you. And it's not because it's any less true. It's not because it's any less profound. It's because you have grown numb to it. As I was reading the commentaries on the 23rd Psalm, one of the commentators who certainly no slight against him, I think he's a godly man, but he said, it'll be hard for me to say anything new about this psalm. But I'll try. Why? Because we feel like we've already heard everything about it, and we won't be interested in the psalm unless we can hear something new. Because our familiarity has bred callousness. And if we don't hear something new, then it's as though it doesn't matter at all. But here's the reality is that more often than not, when we come to Scripture and we find something that the last 2,000 years of Christians haven't found, it's probably heresy. There's a reason that nobody found it for 2,000 years. It's because it might not actually be there. (laughs) The reality is that oftentimes, especially with this psalm, what we don't need is something new. What we don't need is something revolutionary. We just need to, to break through the calluses in our heart. We need to see it for what it actually says. And we need to recognize the profound implications of this statement. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. We don't need to hear something new. We just need to hear it again and rest in it. And so we come to the 23rd Psalm. And if I could read it for us in its entirety, and then we will walk through the text. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you've taken any sort of a college writing course, I would actually probably say it really starts in middle school. Uh, You have had hammered home to you the importance of the thesis statement. In your first paragraph, there is supposed to be one sentence which summarizes uh, and really from which all of the rest of your essay flows, this thesis statement. And the thesis statement of Psalms chapter 23 is the first five words. If this psalm could be likened to a stream from which we might be refreshed, the first five words are the spring from which it flows. And if you get the first five words wrong, the rest of this psalm becomes empty. It almost becomes cynical because the rest of it becomes untrue. Unless you can say with David... In writing this, the Lord is my shepherd. Everything else promised in Psalm 23 is dependent on whether the first five words are true for you. So David says this, the Lord is my shepherd. The question we have to ask ourselves when we come to Psalms 23 is, who is it that is our shepherd? David has said that his shepherd is the Lord, but who is your shepherd? In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, Jesus launches into what is one of the most just incredible ways of losing your audience in all of the Bible. Uh, he, he just teaches on these very difficult topics. He actually kind of ends it by saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no share in me. Which sounds crazy. And everybody following him responds by saying, this is crazy, I'm leaving. And so all of these people leave Jesus, and Jesus turns to the apostles. And, and in this really just poignant scene in Scripture, he turns and he looks at them and he says, what about you? Will you leave as well? And it's almost as if he doesn't care. He's like, go ahead, leave. And Peter says, where else will we go? Lord, in you are the words of life. Peter recognizes this reality, that you cannot simply untie your ship from a dock and float adrift in the sea for the rest of your life. You have to dock somewhere. It's not enough for you to say, I have no shepherd. Everyone is shepherded by something or someone. The question is, is your shepherd the type of shepherd who can make good on the promises of the 23rd Psalm? Have you tied your ship to a harbor that can provide for you in the way that this this psalm promises? Or have you given yourself to a lesser shepherd? John Calvin, the reformer, has this very famous statement, the human heart is a factory of idols. Positive, right? I would actually take that and maybe reappropriate it. It's not simply a factory of idols. It's a factory of shepherds. We will all be shepherded by something or someone. The question is who or what? Now, very often, the things that we allow ourselves to be shepherded by, to be led by, they're not bad things. In the life of a sheep, an actual sheep, the shepherd is their provider. He is their protector. He is the one in whom they place their confidence. He is the one who they follow, who they are led by. And for many of us, we have shepherds that, as I've said, are not bad. There's nothing wrong with them necessarily. Uh, For some of us, academics have been our shepherd, that we find our worth in the fact that we can have straight A's. God bless you. I, I can't. Even in stuff I like, I don't think I've gotten above a B in a long time. 
Laziness, maybe. Um, But we find our confidence in these things. We're led by them. We find our worth in them. Our joy comes from them. Or maybe you're outside of college, and at this point, you're in the workforce. And so your occupation, your financial stability, it becomes your shepherd, that that from which you derive your sense of worth, your protection, your confidence. Again, not a bad thing. We should work in our jobs as unto the Lord. We should be the best workers in whatever field we work in. This is the call of the Christian. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, and for some of us, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our fiance, our spouse has become our shepherd. Again, not bad. You should esteem uh, the person whom you are in a romantic relationship with. That should absolutely be the case. But I just want you to know that none of these shepherds can make good on the promises of the 23rd Psalm. Your wealth will rot. Maybe not in your lifetime, but certainly after you die. Your grades, they'll come a point where they don't matter. Try and one-on-one, one-on-one somebody in a street fight and see if your grades actually matter. They don't. Sorry. I'll cut it out of the podcast. The reality is that these things that we find our worth and our protection and our safety in, they don't last. And if, you're, if your shepherd is your spouse, I just want you to know you'll crush them under the weight of those expectations. You will absolutely crush them under expecting them to make good on promises found here that no human being is capable of. And you will turn every relationship you find yourself in into a toxic cesspool because you have picked the wrong shepherd. The question is, who is your shepherd? Jesus takes this title upon himself in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the good shepherd. The psalm that you read, the 23rd that you grew up reading as a young Jewish boy in Second Temple Judaism in first century Palestine, I am that good shepherd, the one in whom you can place your confidence and your hope and your delights, the one to whom you can look for protection and safety and security. And then Paul says that Jesus is the one in whom all of God's promises find their yes. So the first question we ask, the first question I would ask you, whether you're a Christian or not, is who is your shepherd? What is your shepherd? And can your shepherd make good on what the text will go on to say? David says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's because of this that I shall not want. Again, it would be worthwhile to do some talking here Uh, because in our modern day uh, but also in the christian climate in which we find ourselves uh, this verse can be taken out of its context and used for incredible abuses many have actually argued that the best way to do justice to the hebrew text here is not simply to say i shall not want but to say i shall have or i have all that i need or i'm secure Uh, that I lack nothing that is necessary. Because for many people, they'll take this and they'll rip it out of context and say, the Lord is your shepherd? Well, then you'll never get sick. The Lord is your shepherd? Well, then don't worry about financial problems. That will never be an issue. The Lord is your shepherd? Well, then you should, if he is your shepherd, you should be driving a nice car and have a nice house and a white picket fence with two and a half kids. And the Lord is your shepherd? Why hasn't the American dream come true for you? We take this and we use this text in service of something that it's not meant to say. Because in its context, everybody reading this after David wrote it would have said that the, that the Lord as our shepherd is providing for our needs. And there's a difference between what you need and what you think that you need. And to take it and pervert it into some license for health and wealth constantly in the Christian life is to put lies in the mouth of God. 
And that is a dangerous place to find yourself. Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, which Marcus led us through earlier tonight, actually gives us license to pray for our needs. We're told to ask the Lord to give us this day our daily bread. And then tomorrow we pray again, give me today my daily bread. And the next day, give me today my daily bread. It's teaching us to pray in such a way that we are dependent day in and day out for God's provision in our lives. There's nothing wrong with praying for needs. And I would argue there's nothing wrong with praying for wants either. But God has promised to make good on needs. And wants are just the cherry on top of the Sunday, so to speak. If you grew up in the church, you might be familiar with this song, Our God is an Awesome God. It was written by a man named Rich Mullins, uh, who I have grown to love. And if you, if you just want to look at just an interesting life, Rich Mullins is just a very strange guy, uh, not just in Christianity, but just in, in the world in general. Uh, he was barefoot all the time, which I normally think is kind of corny, but he just never wore shoes to anything. Um, he was obsessed with St. Francis of Assisi, who was this monk. Uh, he's just obsessed with him, uh, and he, he got that from this documentary he watched on his life. But there's this interview with Rich Mullins. Uh, he wrote a song for Amy Grant, and the song says, If you found somebody who loves you, uh, somebody who loves you true, thank the Lord above, he's been doubly good to you. But he originally wrote that song for his own wedding, and he loved one girl for all the days of his life, and she broke up with him and married somebody else. And so he said... I don't have the capacity to love anybody else. And so I'm going to be single and celibate for the rest of my life. And so at that point, he sold the song to Amy Grant because he's like, I'm not going to be having a wedding. So here you go, Amy. And a radio host asked him in this interview, don't you think that this song is cruel to to say that, that if you found someone who loves you in this romantic way, that God's been doubly good to you? Don't you think that that makes God out to be a monster? And he said, why would you say that? He said, well, Because for you, God hasn't been doubly good to you then. Because you haven't found somebody who loves you. And his response is is so beautiful. He said, you know, God's not obligated to be singly good to anybody. And the fact that he saved me is enough. He has given me what I need, though maybe not what I want. I would argue that the Christian life is God teaching us through all of the days with which we walk with him, how little we truly need apart from Christ, in whom all the promises of God find their yes. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He goes on, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, David spent the first 30 or so years of his life as a shepherd. And so he is drawing on the images of what he has seen in his youth. Uh, Sheep tend to be relatively skittish animals. And so still waters is a good thing because sheep are afraid of moving water. Um, Green pasture is a good thing because there's less nutrients in dead pastures. So what David is doing is he is drawing on these images that produce life in the life of a sheep. And he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, brings me to these places, these areas that give me life. But it's not simply uh, this health and wealth, your best life now. It's this spiritual life. He says, it restores my soul. 
And very often, we don't even notice when God is bringing us to these places that give us this spiritual life, this renewed joy, this renewed fervor, this renewed love for him, this greater conviction of sin, this greater desire to live in holiness. We miss it until it's gone, much in the same way that you don't realize how much you love food until you don't have money for food. Several years ago, a really good friend of mine got married, and I'm just going to confess to you, I don't like weddings. (laughs) So... I'll, t- I'll still do your wedding if you ask me to, so don't hear that as me writing things off. But weddings for me tend to just be like, cool, this food isn't even that good. Uh, so, so anyways, uh, a friend of mine asked me to be in his wedding, and I thought, this could be even worse than just going to a wedding, <laughs> because now I have to be there the whole time. But uh, I ended up going, and the bachelor party was two days before, and, and to see the grace of God in this guy's life... The first time, well, the last time I saw him before the wedding, uh, he had been an addict, and he had gone away to rehab. He'd spent the night at my family's home. Uh, He said, I've been kicked out. I have absolutely nothing. I'm going to rehab tomorrow, but I'm going to sleep on the streets tonight if nobody will let me stay. And so Mama and Papa Lowe uh, and the Lowe brothers said, you can stay with us. And then he stayed with us, and then he got in his cab, and he went to the airport, and we didn't see him for years, and found out that he had gotten clean, and he'd become a pastor in New York. And so God had moved tremendously in his life, and to sit in this wedding, just honestly, as somebody who hates weddings, these were green pastures and still waters for me. Just to see the grace of God poured out in my friend's life, it was something that kept me going for months to just be able to look back and say, Jesus still saves, Jesus still delivers, that chains are still broken by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was able to look back at that for months when things grew dark and say, those were green pastures, those were still waters, and it wasn't even my wedding, and I hate weddings. But I didn't notice it until it was gone. How much better would it be if we kept our eyes to the ground, so to speak, and recognize when God is leading us through these places of life that restore our souls. Because David says that if the Lord is your shepherd, then your shepherd will lead you to such places. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, the temptation would be to listen to this song and to think that what David is describing, these green pastures and this valley, they always happen in this order, that uh, when you hit the green pastures, you should know that the valley is about to show up. If I can just nerd out for a second, um, in, in the Resident Evil video games, can't believe I'm doing this. Um, You always know the boss is coming because there's the part where you can stock up on ammo, right? And so you go, okay, the boss is coming because here's the green pastures of Uzi ammunition so I can light up some zombies. That's not how life works. And David knows that. Uh, The world in which David lives, these green pastures and these valleys of death, they're intermingled. And very often you come from a pasture to a valley, but there's often times where you walk into the valley and in the middle of it you find these pastures. Or you have to walk through the valley to find the pasture. And these things are profoundly 
difficult. And I just want you to know, if you've been sold on this kind of Christianity that says that you accept Jesus and that all of your problems go away, that's not what Scripture promises. David doesn't say, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David recognizes that even with the Lord as his shepherd, he will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The promise is not that your life will be absent of pain. The promise is that the shepherd will not abandon you in your pain. The promise is that that the shepherd will not abandon you in the valley, but that he will be with you and that he is good and that he will lead you through the valley again to still waters. And there will come times in this valley of the shadow of death where things grow so dark that it doesn't seem that you can see the shepherd. People will die in your life. There will be some some people in this room who will lose everything. I don't want you to walk into a naive Christianity. There will be times where things are dark. The promise is not that that won't come. The promise Jesus makes is that even in the darkness, I know my sheep, and my sheep know my voice. And so if you find yourself in the middle of these green pastures and these still waters, can I just appeal to you? Know the shepherd's voice well in those times, because there will grow a time, or there will come a time, where things do in fact grow so dark that you cannot see his form, but you can recognize his voice. And it's in those times, in all times, but especially in those times, we walk by faith and not by sight. There is a, uh, a famous hymn that I'm sure some of you are familiar with, written by a man named Horatio Spafford. The hymn is called It Is Well. Uh, and we've sung it several times in our services over the last few months, or kind of a modified version of it. Uh, Many people don't know the background of this hymn. Horatio Spafford was a businessman in Chicago. Uh, And in Chicago, this historical event called the Great Fire of Chicago destroyed all of the properties that he owned. He lost everything. And so his friend said, hey, maybe you should take a vacation. Go back to England where your family's from. Uh, Kind of reestablish your bearings. And he didn't have any money because everything had burned to the ground. And so uh, he sent his wife and his two or three daughters on a ship ahead of him because he couldn't pay to go himself and he needed to conclude all of his business in Chicago. And during this journey uh, across the ocean, across the pond, if you will, see, I'm cultured, I know these things, Um, the ship sank and all of his children died. And so he gets a telegraph from his wife from England, and she says uh, something to the effect of, all dead except for me. And so he has lost everything he owns, and now he has lost his children. And I meant to have the text of the song in front of me so I don't get it wrong, but, but as he is on the ship to go to England uh, to be with his wife after having lost everything that he owns and after losing his children... He asks the ship captain, can you stop over the place in which I lost my children? And he says, sure. And from the mast or from the bow of the ship, he writes, it is well. Uh, and, and the song, the lyrics, it is well, and forgive me if I'm butchering them, but it's, um, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Lord, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is the the words of a man 
who has known the shepherd's voice in the green pastures and can hear his voice even in the valleys. But there is only one shepherd that can lead you through that type of pain and make good on these promises. David goes on. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David says, and if you know anything about David's life, you know that his life was not easy, uh, though it was a good life. Despite everything that I have seen and everything I have experienced, despite the green pastures and the valleys of the shadow of death, despite all these things, my life is marked by goodness and mercy because he knows the one who is his shepherd. It's my prayer that if you're a Christian in here, you would be reminded of the importance of being shepherded by the Lord as opposed to the lesser shepherds that we find in our lives. If you're not, it's my prayer that you would consider knowing this good shepherd. And Jesus says that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And I would love to talk with you about what it means to know the shepherd who makes good on the promises of this text. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, Lord, we just pray that um, for all of the times that we have turned away to lesser shepherds, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, for the idols in our lives, God, I pray that you would grant us repentance. And Lord, whether we find ourselves in green pastures or in valleys, Lord, I pray that you would restore our confidence in you, that we would walk with you all the days of our lives. Lord, that this ministry would be marked as one that is full of people who have heard the voice of the good shepherd and are walking with you no matter our lot, saying together that it is well with our souls. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.